Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it bears no fruit. But if it's willing to be buried into the ground and die, then from its life, its side, new life will burst forth by way of a plant, and that plant will bear much fruit. On March 24, 1980, in Central America, this very same gospel was proclaimed by the priest celebrating Mass. After he finished that gospel, he then gave a homily appropriate to the text. And when he finished the homily, offered the bread and the wine for Mass, and as he lifted up the bread to be given to God in the Mass, he was shot in the heart and died. So his homily were his last words. After speaking about the grain of wheat that must die, he then became that grain of wheat. I have here his homily. I would like to read some portions of it. He says this, Every Christian ought to want to live intensely. Many do not understand. They think Christianity should not be involved in such things. But to the contrary, you have heard in Christ's gospel that one must not love oneself so much as to avoid getting involved in the risks of life that history demands of us. And that those who try to fend off the danger will lose their lives. While those who act out of love for Christ give themselves to the service of others will live. We know that every effort to better society, especially when injustice and sin are so ingrained, is an effort that God blesses, that God wants, that God demands of us. Every Christian ought to want to live intensely. He goes on to say, We know that no one can go on forever, but those who have put into their work a sense of very great faith, of love of God, of hope among human beings, find it all results in the splendors of a crown that is the sure reward of those who labor thus. These are the last words of a dying priest. And lastly, he connects us to the Mass. This Eucharist is just such an act of faith. To Christian faith at this moment, the voice of diatribe appears changed for the body of the Lord, who offered himself for the redemption of the world. And in this chalice, the wine is transformed into the blood that was the price for our salvation. May this body immolated and this blood sacrificed for us nourish us so that we may give our body and our blood to suffering and to pain like Christ, not for self, but to bring about justice and peace for our people. Within a minute, less than 60 seconds, 
of having finished these words, this man died at the altar. We know him now as Saint Oscar Romero. And it was pretty neat for me because I happened to be on a mission trip in El Salvador with a group of our students. The moment that Pope Francis announced that he was going to canonize Oscar Romero in the country in which he died for his people. You can't plan that. That just happens. (laughs) That's a God thing. We did plan, actually, a mass in the chapel in which he was martyred on the day that we were to depart from El Salvador. So on the Friday we're to leave, a week ago, I was standing at the altar where Oscar Romero gave his life. In fact, there's a, on the wall in Spanish, I'll say in English, it says, there's an inscription that says, at this altar, Monsignor Oscar Romero gave his life to God for his people. I was at the altar doing the very same thing St. Oscar Romero did when he gave his life. Literally, on the altar where Christ shed his blood for us people, I was standing on the ground where Oscar Romero shed his blood for us people. And as it turns out, that happened to have been the very first Mass celebrated in that chapel since the announcement of his canonization. That's awesome. (laughs) Whoever says priests live boring life, (laughs) boring lives, it's not true. It was the most natural and supernatural thing at the very same time. It's the most supernatural thing because you're, you're doing the very thing a martyr did, a man who is now in heaven and we know as saint. We have holy cards with his picture on it. I don't know if you've ever had that ability, that opportunity, to get to be in the same location where a man or a woman gave their lives for Christ, doing literally the same thing that they were doing at that time. It is so surreal. We think of the saints and the martyrs is being way out here, like Polycarp burned at the stake, and the North American martyrs, their fingers chewed off for the sake of Christ. And we think, wow, that's amazing, but that will never be me. So we're inspired, but it doesn't change us. But then to stand in the place to realize the saints are not out there. They're real people. They're just people who live in an extraordinary way, but they're just people, just like the rest of us. Sainthood is not too far from us to be able to attain. Sainthood is just doing what we're asked to do. After we had Mass, we went over to his apartment where he lived across the street. And it's really interesting if you've ever been to a place like that. 
they keep everything just the same as it was the day that you died, the day you left. Uh, it's kind of weird. Uh, let this be a lesson to you. Uh, when you leave your room in the morning, make sure you make your bed, because someone may kill you today. And you want to make sure that when they see your room, ah, she was clean. It was funny, the things that struck us when we walked into this room. Uh, what was really cool was on his wall, there was a, a collage of pictures of him and Pope Paul VI meeting each other. Uh, and then actually on his bedside table, there was just like a portrait, a, a four by six portrait of Paul VI. So Oscar Romero had a devotion to this man. And what's really neat is that in the same announcement that Pope Francis made about St. Oscar Romero, he also said he's going to canonize St. Paul VI. Isn't that awesome? We were, we were floored by that. Oh, they knew each other. So I, I, in our group, I, I told our group, I was like, I'm going to take a bunch of pictures of you live people. I'm going to put them in my room so that when we're all canonized together, people will say, oh, they knew each other. Isn't that cool? But actually, then it would be in the monastery, and none of you can come. So, sorry, <laughs> you won't get to see that. The saints knew each other. It, it, he was so real. Something that uh, struck one of our members, there was, uh, in his bathroom, there was like a, a used shaver. And I'm sure he must have been bleeding all over if he actually used this to shave with. It was a piece of garbage. Uh, and then there was like a half-used bar of soap. We were struck by a bar of soap. Why does, that, why does that strike you? The saints clean themselves. They're just normal people. A bar of soap. That bar of soap is a relic. That's pretty cool. Don't use it. That's kind of gross. But it's a relic of a saint. Uh, the monks, uh, you'll appreciate this, so in the, the case on the wall, there was a, a breviary. And you know, the first thing I saw when I looked at the breviary, you all know this one, were the ribbons in the right place. Was it marked to the day and the office that he would have celebrated in the moment that he died? That's kind of like a, a glory story. It's a sign of a monk or a priest's fidelity, as if we have prayed the office up until the moment we died. It's kind of a funny, not-so-funny thing in seminary. People joke about, hey, if I die, make sure the ribbons are in the right place. <laughs> Go get my breviary and set it for me. He was, he was real. He's a human being, just like the rest of us. He had his servants put on his pants. One, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just a normal human being. I tell you something else. While I was at the altar, so the, the church is set up kind of like this, where you have pews on both sides, uh, a long aisle in the middle, and then it's a beautiful day. It's always beautiful in El Salvador. So beautiful day. The, the windows, all the windows were open. There's a breeze, and the doors in the back of the chapel were wide open. Now, I know the story of Oscar Romero's assassination, and so as I finished my homily, I, I preached, and in fact, I began by saying, I don't know why I'm preaching, because there's too many things 
like thoughts and graces and uh, images and coming to mind, I just like stumbled through something. And then I went to take the bread and I offered it. And I was very conscious that I'm doing, again, literally the same thing that Oscar Romero did. And I'm looking out the door. So as the story goes, a car pulled up to the open doors as he was celebrating Mass. A lone sniper aimed and fired from that door and killed him instantly, one shot to the heart. And I held the bread in my hands, and I looked at that door, and I said, I could be killed right now. And then, you know, the next thought in my head, I looked at the, the people who were with me, And I said, I would die for these people. And I meant that. And I thought also of all of you, you students and families and the monks. And I thought, I would die for you people. Now that's not too amazing, because I happen to like you. It's easy to die for people that you like. How about enemies? Right? How about those of you who give me a hard time, <laughs> who cause me trouble? That's what's so amazing about Jesus' sacrifice, is that while we were still enemies of God, he chose willingly to lay down his life for us. It's not hard to give your life for someone you love. It's Christian and holy to give your life for someone who hates you. Now, it's also not that amazing either. Let me tell you a story. Uh, so I'll tell you a story about John and Kathy. They're a happily married couple, four kids, been married 15 years. These are good people, really good people. So John works, in, and Kathy stays at home with, with the kids. So John's at work all day, he comes back from a long, hard day at work, and he just wants a little bit of a break before he gets back into the family. He wants to have some time to himself so that he can give himself fully to the family. That makes sense. But also, Kathy's been working all day with the kids, and so John comes home and goes down to his man cave, whatever that is, and Kathy opens the, the door to the basement, and she calls down and says, hey, John, uh, I'm busy with the kids. Could you come help for a second? And John says, yeah, sure, honey, I'll be up in a second. He doesn't come. So after time goes by, Kathy opens the door. Hey, John, I really need your help. Can you, can you come help me out for a second? Yeah, Kathy, I'll be there in a second. I just want to finish what I'm doing. Time goes by. We're talking 15, 20 minutes. Kathy opens the door again, yells out, John, I need your help. Now, John's not a dumb man. When you hear your spouse use that tone of voice, you come. So he came. He helped. And they talked about it at the end of the night. And Kathy looks at him in the face and says, Hey, John, do you love me? Yeah, absolutely. You know that. Would you, if I was about to be hit by a bus, would you push me out of the way and take that bus for me? Would you die for me? Of course, 
Of course I would die for you. I would lay down my life for you. In an instant, I wouldn't even have to think twice. I would lay down my life. I would die for you. And she says, well, why don't you come when I call? Eek. (laughs) What do you say to that? Isn't that a lot like a lot of us? We are willing to do the great and grand things. I would take a bullet for you. How about the day-to-day things, the little things in life? Lord, we will die for you, says Peter. You'll deny me before the cock crows three times. Can't you just pray with me for an hour? I'm not asking you to die with me. Can't you just pray with me? No one's going to come in and shoot us today. It could have. It probably won't happen. God's not asking us to take a bullet for him today. But he is asking us to come when he calls. This, this campus is full of chapels. And he waits in these chapels for us to come and keep him company to say hello. Lord, I would die for you. Then why don't you come when I call? Here's the thing. We will never, ever be worthy of what he has done for us. We won't. You will never be good enough for him. Christians marry up. (laughs) We got the better end of this deal. You'll never be good enough for him. Don't wait until you're good enough to come to him. While we were still enemies, he died for us. And that's really good news. That's freeing, because that says it's not about us. It's about him. Why don't you come when I call? I want to make one more comment about this. It's the difference between wishing and willing. St. Thomas Aquinas was asked, what does it take to be a saint? He says, will it? What's the difference between wishing we were a saint and willing we were a saint? Well, what's the difference between wishing I was an astronaut and willing me to be an astronaut? As a child, I wished I was an astronaut. I never willed it, because I'm not one now. I didn't do the things necessary to make that happen. I wished that I played professional soccer. I didn't will it because I'm not doing it now. We wish to die. We wish to be saints. Do we will it? St. Paul says to the church in Thessalonica, he says, this is the will of God for you. Your holiness. Think about that. God wills your holiness. He doesn't wish your holiness. He doesn't create you and then say, I hope one day you get here. Man, I'm going to watch every moment intently. He wills your holiness. Every single moment of your life, he gives you the grace and whatever is necessary, whatever suffering you have to bear, whatever obstacle you have to overcome, whatever in your life he gives to you so that you become holy, he wills it. Do you? 
The Lord is calling us. Let us come when He calls. Let us be saints.